The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 286. Going to talk about some of these potential differences in the season, short seasons, DH, all that good stuff. Go over every National League team with some options in order to do it. A friend of mine, a friend of the show, and it's been too long since he's been on the show. You can find him over on Twitter, at RotoGut, his work at EliteFantasy.com. Vlad Sedler. Vlad, how are we doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, ironic that you asked me on the show. Uh, I happened to go down a, a YouTube uh, rabbit hole the other day, like literally 20 minutes before you, you asked me to come on and found an old, old video of you and I uh, recording a show that we caught on video, uh, your podcast uh, two years ago. And man, times have changed, man. It, uh, we were a lot younger back then. <laughs> yes, we were a lot younger. And you said two years and I was like, man, I can't believe it's been that long. This is ridiculous. Why did I wait so long? So um, and it's just, yeah, time flies. Everything's going on in circles. So I'm glad we're getting to do this again because uh, it's always fun uh, catching up with you. And um, there's a lot there's a lot going on, but there's not. It's kind of one of those like we're just waiting for that last ball to drop. But uh, before we get into all this good stuff, I mentioned you're over there at Elite Fantasy doing a lot of good work over there. Why don't you plug it away and let everybody know what you got going on? Yeah, so I've just been uh, been grinding away. Uh, a lot of my strategy and, and draft articles, I think, are still um, uh, yeah, of use and, and of value, the ones that I wrote in uh, December, January, February, uh, over at our season-long site, fantasyguru.com. I host a, uh, a weekly live stream show, which uh, we'll definitely be having you on here as we get closer to an actual start of baseball. Uh, usually Mondays and Fridays, uh, record those shows, have some great guests on it, and uh Basically a podcast in uh, in video form, uh, continuing my from the gut articles. I've been doing some ADP market reports, and uh, as we finally get a 
hopefully a final framework of what the uh, 2020 half season is going to look like. Um, definitely going to be pumping out a lot of content and getting people ready. And then, of course, once the season starts, uh, lots of fab uh, articles and columns and getting people uh, ready for for uh, for bidding on the weekends. Yeah, Vlad's one of the uh, the best in the business. So I highly recommend checking it all out. His fab stuff is uh, – that's one thing I've talked about many times on this show and with others. I know Erickson and I j- joke about it is – if anything I could do better, Fab would be number one on my, my list. And um, you're, you and Scott Jensen are like the two guys I just like look at. And it makes sense since you guys are buddies and talk a lot about it that uh, you guys are pretty honed in on the Fab world. So that's a, a one I recommend for sure. And tons of content uh, looking forward to what's to come. And you mentioned your strategy pieces still do have re- relevancy because there is definitely strategy involved. And that's one thing we're going to talk about here to open up the show is with these, um, you know, the, the proposition, I guess, that the owners have put out there outside of the money thing, which eventually get, will get figured out. I said it's going to be like divorce court. People are going to say a <laughs> lot of things they're not going to like, and there's going to be a lot of back and forth. Eventually, they're going to agree to something because in the grand scheme of it, it's going to cost more to not play than to play. So they will get that figured out. But some things we do know is there's going to be a shortened season. It looks like 82 games, give or take. How are you approaching that now? Because one thing that's beautiful about fantasy baseball is it's kind of a survival of the fittest, like the duration thing. How can you grind it out? Now it's to me, it feels like it's getting closer to like season long fantasy football where one or two little things that go wrong, it can go downhill quick. You got to be able to pull the trigger a little faster. How are you uh, like already getting mentally prepared for the shortened season? It's going to be an entirely new approach. Uh, I think for the last couple of decades that we've been playing, we've always said uh, and recommended to others or, or let them know that this is a true marathon. This is not a sprint. And now, in fact, it is a sprint. Uh, teams, just as far as major league teams, uh, they are going to have to start out strong um, right out of the gate. Urgency is uh, going to be magnified to the extreme. And uh, from a fantasy standpoint, I mean, depending on, uh, I'm sure we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about how the universal DH is going to impact that uh, the fact that we're likely going to have expanded rosters and uh, uh, just a lot of different things. Like we need to think about how we're going to attack starting pitchers. Like, are we now pushing these guys down? Because uh, for example, are they going to be fully stretched out? Are they going to have enough time in spring t- training after basically having their, uh, their process and flow sort of broken uh, a lot of them practicing at home, some having more resources than others and not in that same sort of you know, uh, team environment, um, are they going to be fully stretched out? Um, are we going to see more usage? Uh, usage? We, I mean, are we? We probably will see more usage of uh, multi-inning relief pitchers. Uh, starting pitchers are going to be on shorter leashes if they're, you know, they're they're getting pummeled early. These guys are going to come out. You're going to see a lot of guys uh, vulturing wins. So how are we going to uh, deal with uh, with starting pitcher? Um, and then fab competition, man, that's going to be very crucial. That's going to be extremely competitive. I think even all year long, you think about fantasy baseball over the years we've played, even in in good leagues, like a lot of com- competitive, expensive NFPC leagues uh, that I've played in, a good chunk of the, the, the competition drops off even before the All-Star break. I think now you're going to see more people in it and you're going to see a lot more randomness. So, um, you know, I think that's sort of a start in terms of where we need to start uh, looking and approaching. Yeah, there's so many things to look at. Like a, a couple you mentioned, the Universal DH, which we're going to talk about later, that's going to potentially open up more at-bats for certain players, either if they were in kind of a utility role, maybe not on the roster. A lot of things there that are going to become very, very interesting. Um, we're going to look at – they're talking about the expanded rosters. We've seen like maybe 30 
man rosters with the the traveling squad kind of circus as well, which could really make things interesting in respect to, okay, are they willing to give guys more days off? Are they willing to uh, rotate maybe two position guys to keep guys fresh? There's lots of ways to go about that. I I know you're a big NFBC guy, and I love their format of being able to use, you know, your lineup Monday through Thursday to make changes to the offensive players on the weekends. In in a format where we're just speculating on more players on a roster, more players getting at bats, maybe more days off. If you had the choice, you're not going to be able to change the NFC's policy. Would you almost be more inclined to play daily moves leagues this year than weekly leagues? I mean, at least with NFC, you've got the for the hitters, like you mentioned, the the, the twice weekly uh, changes, and I think that's that's okay. I think that works in terms of being able to look and see. Uh, guys that may more likely be in a platoon situation that are on my bench. You know, I see a righty coming up and there are three lefties in this four game period coming up. And uh, this is probably a good place to, to be able to use them. So I think we could still take advantage of, uh, of those little nuances, but it's, it's going to be just a continual um, a learning and adaptation process. And I think people that are able to um, sort of um, project and, and see things before they're coming are really going to be in a big, uh, really at a big advantage. Um, I think in general, my my strategy, is, as I mentioned earlier, and I think you're going to see a lot of people doing this, is uh, really going for those uh, th- those top hitters early, the guys that do not have pronounced platoon splits, uh, guys that hit lefties and righties equally well. Uh, th- those guys are the ones you want that you know are most likely not going to get much rest, and especially in a shortened season, they want these you know, these players in their lineups every day. Uh, accumulating plate appearances. These are the guys that I'm going to be focusing on early and I'm okay with pushing pitchers uh, down a little bit. I I think you'll see a lot of that. And then with auctions, man, it's going to be absolute bananas. You're going to see everybody going with the same strategy of um, superstars and scrubs, just, you know, people just uh, spending big money on those big hitters that, uh, you know, we mentioned guys in those first couple rounds. Um, And then, you know, Maybe it'll be interesting. Maybe the the move in that case is uh, to, to wisely pivot off of something like that to be different. We'll see. Yeah, more more than ever, stars and scrubs is going to make a ton of sense. Like you're saying, um, when when you're talking about the going for the stud players, the the kind of locked into their roles, going to play pretty much every day besides the random off day. Would this make you on a season like this? Because I've kind of I did I did a mock draft the other night, and I've been I wrote about it, and it kind of made me think more, kind of analyzing the process of what's going on, would you be more inclined with some of your later picks to maybe if you weren't already one that focuses on it, become someone that focuses more on multi-position eligibility for this kind of scenario? Absolutely. And I think uh, especially a lot of us are playing in, in leagues, whether it's uh, any of the major sites or NFC, RT sports, wherever we don't really have all that at deep benches, especially if we're, we're you know, we're, we're doing uh, leagues that, do have have weekly fab our benches aren't deep and so it you know there'll be some churning and burning on our rosters like you know you and i always do uh but those multi-eligible position players are going to be really really valuable we've seen them a lot in the uh some of these best ball formats where i mean man i saw uh, cody bellinger go first overall Mm -hmm. in in one of those because he's first base in outfield you see guys like max muncie jeff mcneil uh dj lemayhew being pushed up uh big time and uh, actually, just in my uh, from the gut article the other day, I pointed out a few guys in the late rounds. I mean, guys like Spencer Kaiboom and uh, I'm sorry, Carter Kaiboom and um, um, uh, Travis Shaw 
the, you know, these type of guys that are, they have one position now and then pretty much early in the season, they're going to get that additional eligibility, you know, Shaw playing first base, uh, Kai Boom's going to be a third baseman most likely. Uh, and that's going to be very helpful and valuable. People aren't going to want to drop these type of guys off their rosters. And it really helps if, you know, you, you've got those uh, only twice weekly move type leagues. hundred percent agree. That's one thing I've been kind of focusing on and looking at uh, early on in the kind of new game planning for a shortened season. You are also referring to maybe waiting on pitching a little more because I've seen a couple different uh, conversations on this strategy of it maybe makes the quality innings more important at the same time, a shorter duration maybe allows for, you know, more volatility or that middle pack becomes more of a kind of equal value situation or whatnot. You mentioned you're going to wait. Are you going to maybe focus more on the Frankie Montas is that area of the draft, or are you going to try to um, still walk away with maybe a top, you know, 15 type guy? Yeah, I usually want to have a good anchor. Um, and I think even now, even in this 82 game potential scenario, I think that's still strong. But the thing is um, in the, in the shortened season, there are guys in that sort of second tier, the Giolitos, you Darvishes, um, you know, or third tier, whatever you want to call them, uh, Luis Castillo's Patrick Corbin's of the world, who for me, I'm absolutely fine having as my first starter, even a, a Chris Paddock or, or, or somebody like that. Um, I don't need to necessarily um, to, to spend up for a top guy because I you know obviously, you know, Cole's a sort of a different animal, but you're going to have a lot of guys with a, you know, 26% plus strikeout rate uh, starters that are going to, going to be workhorses that are going to go five, six innings. I feel like I can be able to stream uh, starters pretty well. Uh, there's some guys in Texas, for example, that are going to be really cheap um, that, that you know are going to be horses and innings eaters that we can sort of uh, rotate on. And other than that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like I can, can be just fine, build a build a nice roster so that with my hitters, uh, I'm not having to do too much, um, you know, switching. You know, I pretty much have my guys locked in and then I'm taking advantage. Okay, like my fifth outfielder is going to uh, Baltimore to play four games. So, you know, I'm locking him in for this week and uh, or facing the Orioles or whatever it is and just kind of taking it from there, if that makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. And that's why it's going to be really interesting because we look at this three division format they're coming up with where it's the East, the Central and the West. And I think they're saying something along the lines, you'll you'll play about two thirds of your game. Say you're the, the Dodgers, you'll play against the National League West. And then your other third will be against the AL West teams. And so that way it's kind of limiting travel to the best of their ability and I was telling someone it's going to take some work and you're going to see a lot of articles on it. You probably already looked into it. I know you did a brief little deal on kind of who it benefits, but I bet you there's going to be some deep dives by analysts out there on which players get like a very nice bump by sticking around. Like you mentioned the Yankees, if they're playing two thirds of their games against the uh, AL East, that means you get, well, Toronto's probably going to be in Florida. So that's one thing, but you're going to get a lot of Orioles games. You're going to get a lot of other factors, the national league, you're going to get, Coors Field and likely the California teams potentially playing in Arizona. Um, so there's going to be different environments that are going to benefit things differently. I would assume you're going to kind of make that a factor in your drafting, but how much are you really going to focus on that? Because in the end, these guys still have to perform. Of course. And, and I want to see the schedule. I want to see the, the, the way that shakes out. But I think uh, for the most part, I mean, there are just so many moving pieces here, especially not knowing where, um, uh, where these teams are going to be playing with the, um, uh, the dynamics of these ballparks are. Uh, what I do know is just based on opponents alone, you can just sort of tell 
that um, I was already targeting AL East hitters as much as I could in drafts prior to this. This isn't really going to change for me. Uh, I love these Yankees bats. I love the Blue Jays bats. Uh, you look at the Red Sox, for example. I mean, they could potentially have one of the worst. Uh, I mean, they right now on paper have one of the worst uh, starting rotations in baseball. Um, you know, and then you got the Orioles there. The Blue Jays are just, you know, yeah, they picked up Ryu. But outside of that, I mean, uh, you really worried about like a Tanner Rourke or a Trent Thornton? I mean, you know, I'm not really. So outside of the Rays and even the Yankees that, you know, they, they, they lost Severino, they might be losing Paxson. I mean, this is a division that is going to be right for the picking as far as hitting is concerned. Uh, then you go out into the AL, uh, you know, the, the central teams, uh, a lot better pitching there. And then, of course, uh, the, the West teams, I, I feel like um, you, you've got a nice set of pitchers there, too. But there's also a lot of parity in that league um, as well. You've got some really strong offensive teams, some incredible uh uh, teams that were like the Dodgers, Astros, Athletics, and then you've got the other end of the stick, you know, teams like the Giants and the Mariners. So um, there's a nice balance on all these divisions, but I think the East is probably where you're going to see a lot of the, uh, uh, most of the offense coming from this year. I totally agree. Like a lot of the offense will come from there and you could pretty much say there's a good chunk of solid pitching most likely coming out of the West uh, on some of those squads. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, see if, Maybe you gain some value in certain places that it wouldn't have been because they kind of get overlooked in the mess. But uh, that'll be a fun one to look at. You mentioned fab because it is going to be craziness. And since it is more of a sprint this year, I know some you were always churning and burning like the bottom part of your roster. That's just standard protocol. But and this is pure speculation because it, it could change. You don't want to give away all your secrets. But how much quicker would you be to pull the pin on someone this year than you would in the past? Man, so it, it comes down to first is uh, making sure that I'm I'm uh, I have a good feel for uh, for the back end of my draft. I want to have a good feel for the early season schedule because I want to take advantage of that, and I I want to be ahead of uh, of the curve in those situ- in those scenarios. So I'm um, maybe projecting uh, who the two star pitchers might be early on with some of my back end uh, back end picks, uh, looking to see who are playing some of these weaker teams. Maybe you know team gets. Uh, uh, gets the Mariners uh, twice in, in in the next two weeks. And so I want to focus on those guys. And then we'll see at that point if uh, after two weeks or so, if these are the type of players that per- perhaps might be keepers. But, you know, there's there's less margin for error this year. And uh, you're going to see crazy, crazy uh, fab bids almost every week. Just people uh, just just going absolutely nuts and, and, and spending their money and, you know, just as fast. I mean, uh, $500, $600 out of a $1,000 budget for somebody who's just coming off a hot week is absolutely very possible. Whether that's going to be worth it is, uh, is a different uh, topic altogether. The problem is, as you know, a lot of people are always, they're, they're spending on what just happened. Uh, you know, some, some random guy hit, you know, 450 for the week. They're spending all their money on that instead of predicting what's uh, about to happen based on schedules, opposing pitchers and that sort of thing. Definitely. It, it will be uh, an interesting reactive period for people in fab to see how all that plays out. Uh, I, I can pick your brain on this for a long time because it's a fun um, discussion on kind of philosophy because there's going to be a lot of different ones, a lot of ways to attack things. Some guys are going to play this season like it's a GPP and go for like tons <laughs> of upside players. Some guys are going to go safe floor cash types, sprinkle in some GP. It's going to be really interesting to watch all the different roster constructions. Uh, relievers, like how in a short in a season like this, like there's two stats that really stood out to me as something to I really want to investigate more about. Steals, which were already tough, but it makes me wonder if the upper echelon steel guys 
make it stand out that much more. And similarly, staves, are we more inclined to say, go and get those elite guys that are locked into a safe role, similar to what you're talking about with your offensive players, go get those early. Because if you looked at ADP changes in uh, April from March, once kind of COVID hit and we started getting rumors of the Arizona plan, uh, relievers all started moving up the draft board. So are those two things that that kind of make sense, or are you not as worried as like saves and steals maybe being a little more, I'm not going to say important, but maybe something to address a little sooner in your draft? Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, necessarily want to spend a good chunk of my fab budget during the course of the season on saves. And so I don't mind investing some early draft capital on guys that I feel confident in uh, who have a, a, a track record of, of health. They're on good teams. Uh, and they're going to get a lot of save opportunities, and uh, I'm I'm totally fine. It doesn't have to be uh, spending a 60th overall pick on Josh Hader. It doesn't have to be the next couple of guys, but that group of uh, Ken Giles, uh, Kenley Jansen, uh, Hector Neris, uh, Liam Hendricks, Taylor Rogers. I'm fine with those guys for the most part. I uh, would love to grab a couple of those, and if that means uh, two picks in my fir- among my first eight. Uh, I'm fine with it. And of course it's format dependent. Uh, this is for me, I, pri- I play primarily in a BC um, where uh, you want, you're competing for an overall prize and which is usually my goal. And so you want to be strong across the board in all categories in home leagues. You can p- potentially punt that you don't have to spend the early pick on saves uh, speed. I usually never have as much of a problem with, but I do know that in my earlier picks, uh, I definitely want to get a good speed base if I can, like, uh, maybe that means my early round picks may not be an Arenado or a JD Martinez type guys that will provide quality in four categories, but not necessarily get the steals because I notice I'm always chasing steals in the draft. So I'd rather get a nice little base early and then not worry about it. And then also not have to rely on the Jared Dyson types, uh, D Gordons and, and things like that, where I have to target one of those guys late in the draft. Yeah, a lot of similarities in the way we draft, it sounds like, at least early on in the draft, because I'm the same way. Give me, they might not have the 45 home run potential, but if you can give me 25 and 20 or something, we are, uh, we're in business. So mm-hmm. I'm with you there. Uh, last question on this. With the shortened season, with the different philosophy, I've seen a lot of guys, a lot of guys you talk to, a lot of uh, big NFBC players, different inputs on this. Are you still going to kind of have the same volume if they open up mains and all this stuff, or are you tempering it back because it's such a different atmosphere this year? Uh, so, I mean, I have already drafted more teams than I ever had before, <laughs> uh, before this happened. Uh, luckily, most of them were, uh, were draft champions. So 50 rounders with, uh, with no fab during the season. So I'll be able to maintain that. It's, uh, you know, part of that, uh, that old realm. Uh, and, and those will be interesting how that, how those turn out. Uh, here, I definitely want to, I want to draft a couple. I don't think I'm going to go crazy. Uh, but I definitely am going to do that main event that I didn't get to do. Uh, of course, it'll be online, which uh, you know, it's fine by me. And uh, yeah, I absolutely want to draft that. And it's going to be a new challenge. You know, it's uh, it, we're all we're all in the middle of uh, of something crazy and, and new. And it's a good chance to sort of um, you know we're all we're all on the, we're all at the same starting gate. Uh, of course, those of us that are looking into these things beforehand and, uh, and making assumptions is great, but we don't even have a framework yet. I mean, we, it's changed so many times. Who knows what else it's going to change to? So once I get some some footing, then I'm really going to go for it. Um, I don't think I'm going to do full on uh, crazy projections. I might, you know, take my projections and and and, and chop them in half. Uh, and then maybe, you know, tweak them here and there uh, just to give myself a good idea, but it's still going to roughly come out to the same guys. 
So, uh, or, or the same sort of ranking. So we'll see. Definitely want to, I think I answered a little bit more than uh, your intended question, but uh, yes, I want to play, but I want to be careful and, uh, and temper myself to not go too crazy. I like that part though, about the projections, like you're saying, because in the end, it seems like as much as I go into a draft, maybe thinking I want to, you know, have more of an impact on X, Y, or Z because of the new formats, I end up still kind of going with my normal rankings from before. Like that's just, they're, 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 it's going to be very similar, I think, just a shortened season, and then we'll see what happens. Some guys might start hot, some might not. We won't know. The, the fun part or the, the challenging part, I think, even after the season is for guys like you, me, and others, how do we like, – this isn't even a question. It's just a thing we can move on from. But how are we going to evaluate this season and use it to project for next season? That's going to be the fun part. Uh, oh, yeah. For guys that make projections and stuff, that's going to be challenging. Yeah, I did want to uh, just quickly touch on that point is, um, and I've discussed it on last few things that I've been on and with some of my guests, it's it's going to be insane because um, you're going to have a good chunk of folks that are going to overvalue what happened in this half season uh, into their 2021 ADP. And it's really going to throw things off. So it gives an opportunity uh, for sharp players like uh, you, me, and, and, and the listeners here to uh, to really take advantage of those true market inefficiencies that should hopefully stick out to us like sore thumbs. Yeah, those early draft champions uh, you know, around the holiday season are going to be a lot of fun. A lot oh, of yeah. fun. So oh, yeah. uh, that'll be good. But let's talk this universal DH because it's something that uh, it's been, people have wanted it in the National League for a long, long time. I've told many that for a while I was the old school. I liked my baseball the way it was meant to be played. And I get it. I also understand it's getting really old watching bad players hit ninth every game. So and see guys get hurt because they can't run from first to second. That stinks. So I'm on board with the DH now, even before all this happened. Where do you stand on that? Are you good with the DH happening in the National League? Oh, yeah, I have no problem with that. Um, I I feel like as I'm as I'm getting older, I I definitely become a lot more of a traditionalist in a lot of ways, but not um, uh, super uh, stoic, I guess, in that regard. So yeah, bring, uh, bring it on. I, I think it, it's absolutely fine. I think it makes sense, uh, adds a new layer of strategy and uh, really it, it helps out. It, it keeps the eighth spot in an NL lineup from being a, an absolute dead spot. Really. Uh, you've had managers in the past, Joe Madden, Dave Roberts started doing it in spring training where, you know, where you, you pitch the, you got the pitcher hitting eighth. Um, that's what something they were looking to possibly do with Gavin Lux to hit ninth. Um, and, and I like that creativity. But now this just opens up the player pool even more. It makes it even more mayhem. And so, hey, let you know, let, let the cream rise at the top. Let's see what happens. Yep, let's do it. Let's see what happens here. And uh, Vlad wrote an article uh, at, at Elite Fantasy about uh, potential players from each team that will benefit from the uh, DH. I wrote one over at Roto Baller. And one thing I've said many times is, we can recommend one or two guys, but it's going to open up windows for all different things. I liked one, a few things out of your article is like I focused on guys that might not be on the roster or might not have uh, here and there, but you mentioned some guys you're going to talk about that. It just increases their ability to play more than like two thirds of the week, which is also strong impacts of this for their fantasy values. So we'll go over each team here, giving some quick thoughts on it. We'll start with the Atlanta Braves. We'll start in the East and we'll start with the Braves. And who do you think are the, the guys that kind of benefit the most on this Braves squad? Uh, my, my first thought was originally looked like we were having a competition at third base between uh, Johan Camargo, who's just your solid run of the mill uh, major leaguer who actually had 80 plus RBIs two years ago when he, when he got the playing time. He's a, he's a switch hitter. 
Um, not overly powerful, but he's a he's a decent player who in deep leagues and 15 teamers could be worthy. Um, but now him and Riley should get plenty of opportunity to play. Um, Austin Riley, obviously, we're, we're all familiar with last year, got off to that bang and start in the majors after crushing it in AAA. That continued for a, a short period of time, and then he just he just fell off the cliff like most rookies do. Uh, and so this will be his second act. And um, I think with consistent at-bats, I think that should help and be fine. Um, but you know what? It even helps somebody like um, like an Adam Duvall. I mean, I think he's still with the team. And, um, you know, he flexed a little power in AAA last year, came up, started gnashing a little bit, helped some 15-team leagues. Uh, and, and so I think those are probably the, the three guys um, outside of your usual suspects that will probably get the most at-bats. Yeah, I'm with you. The Austin Riley one's the one that stands out to me immediately and probably to many as – we were kind of looking between him and Camargo, and Camargo seemed like switch hitter, better defense. Braves already got a lot of pop up top, so they want that stability on the defensive side of things. Now this opens it up for Riley to maybe get some at-bats and get more comfortable in the big. So I think that's a great one. And the other one that was interesting to me, and it really depends not just on the DH, but it's like a deep dive. If they expand the rosters like we're talking about, there was a guy that was in camp, uh, one of their prospects that was close to making the team, Say he hits a hot spot. Now he can go play in the outfield and you start throwing some like some of these other guys' uh, DH options or maybe he gets a few at-bats. Very long shot, but I wanted to mention Christian Pache as, mm-hmm. a, as a, a really interesting one that probably don't even have to draft him, but someone that like that's the fun of this DH thing and these expanded rosters, the craziness that this season will have when we're playing fantasy that you could foresee a guy like Pache having like a two-week run where he can just like carry your team, but then you got to play that quick pull the trigger and get out of their thing. So it's going to be really yeah. interesting, but just having that DH can make him a viable option where on a regular season might not even see the field. He stood out to me. Uh, let's go to the Miami Marlins. Uh, a guy that stood out to me right out the gate was Garrett Cooper. Who are some of the guys on your list? Yeah, Cooper, uh, he makes a lot of sense. Obviously the team added, uh, I mean, they added Jesus Aguilar, um, who I think we'll probably see more consistent at uh, at bats, probably in the middle of the lineup, most likely hitting fifth. Uh, but but Garrett Cooper, just uh, looking at the roster, seemed like sort of the odd man out. He could play first, he could play outfield, but uh, they're going to have some young guys on the team. Uh, but you're right, he's definitely somebody that's going to be uh, be there in the mix. Uh, but to me, John Birdie, I've uh, been drafting a lot of shares of him beforehand, just for me thinking somebody that uh, a little bit of a late bloomer, but somebody that just has so much ability to, uh, to steal bases uh, and, and really make an impact in that category and potentially even hit, hit near the top of the lineup uh, just makes a lot of sense. I don't see how uh, a guy with so much roster flexibility could play all over the field. Isn't going to find his way into the lineup every day. So he won't necessarily be the DH. Someone else could probably slide down there like an Aguilar or a Cooper, but I think you'll probably see a lot of John birdie in the lineup this year. Yeah, I love the birdie call. That's kind of one of the guys I was hinting at when we were all. We're going to talk about some guys that stood out to me that when I was looking like Garrett Cooper didn't have a job, but you look at his hit tool, he, like he epitomizes a designated hitter. Like, I'm going to hit for power. My defense isn't great. This is built for me. But John Birdie makes a ton of sense because, like you were saying, he was a guy that could play all over the place but didn't have a, a structured home. Now this allows, like, Don Mattingly to go, hey – we're going to give this guy a day off by putting him at DH. Birdie, go play over there. And then so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Next thing you know, he's played four positions and four different positions in four straight days because of the DH. That's huge. So I think that's a great call. It's a great late round stolen base target. Uh, a lot to like there with John Birdie. This is the fun one. Well, one of the fun ones, I think, because there's some interesting ways you can go with it. There's the easy one, 
with the New York Mets and Suspedis where it literally built for a guy like him at his age. But what are you, what are some of the guys you're looking at with uh, the Mets? Yeah. I mean, uh, he, he, I saw somebody tweet the other day, uh, you know, Suspedis, uh, a 2020 home run leader. And that was pretty funny to me. So <laughs> I don't even know where uh, he is in terms of being ready. Uh, to be honest, we just, we hadn't even heard that much uh, prior to, uh, to, to everything being shut down, but uh, man, he sure would be a, be an interesting option. I mean, uh, I guess he still has a little, um, you know, a little bit left in the in the tank and in his bat. So we'll see. Um, not yet even thirty five uh, passes prime, but still maybe a little pop. Uh, I think it's somebody like Dominic Smith who made a, a decent impact last year, at least for a little chunk of the season. A former first round pick himself um, really came into his own last year. Um, you know, obviously this team does have a few lefty bats, but he's somebody that can get in the mix. Uh, I could put Alonzo at DH occasionally and have him play first base or vice versa. So uh, I think Dominic Smith makes a lot of sense there uh, too. Somebody with more, uh, more plate appearances this year. Yeah. The, uh, the Dom Smith, JD Davis platoon just got a lot clearer with the DH. Mm-hmm. Now we can get a little bit of love of both because JD Davis was a guy that I really love to hit. It's hard not to like his hit tools, hard hit rate, all the stat cast metrics, bright red, just like we like. But it was a, a strict platoon. Like he was going to platoon with Dom Smith because their defense is for either one chance. So I like that call a lot. Uh, Suspedis makes a ton of sense. Uh, there was rumors that he was getting healthy. There was some batting practice getting shown. Who was throwing to him? Who knows? Definitely not major league talent. Let's be real about that. But um, it makes him an option. And then it, another one, and this was kind of my long shot. So you're probably going to laugh at some of my long shots by the end here. But I was looking deeper on if they expand the rosters to, say, 30, and you're looking for a guy that literally would thrive in the designated hitter roles, and his name is Matt Adams. Like, this guy uh-huh. is built for just facing righties. They signed him to a minor league contact. He was contract. He was in spring training. Another long shot thing, probably not to draft him. But just imagine if he played DH and played four to five days a week, he could hit you 20-plus homers. Like, he really could. It would be interesting. He still got a little. He still got um, some some pop left in that bat, man. I, I probably I, I'd probably draft him in a fifteen teamer. We'll see. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So it makes it interesting if, with with this scenario. But uh, let's go to the Nationals, the team that sure they've lost Harper, sure they lost Rendon, but there's still a lot of pop in that lineup, and they have a lot of platoons that could really get cleared up, and then some other players. What stood out to you with the Nationals? So the first thing I thought of is you can actually uh, play both catchers sometimes. I know that's probably not ideal, but Kurt Suzuki is a good hitter. Uh, Jan Gomes is slightly better defensively, uh, not as good of a hitter. Uh, and both guys uh, pretty old there. Um, Suzuki especially is actually almost 37. Uh, but they just have a, a slew of veterans that now you can really mix and match. I mean, Ryan Zimmerman's still there with the team. They signed Ezreal Cabrera over the offseason. He was originally going to split time at third base with Carter Kaiboom. Um, and, and Howie Kendrick, obviously he can, uh, he can play DH. He can, uh, he can platoon with Eric, uh, Eric Thames when Eric, uh, is, uh, hitting against righties. And so, yeah, I mean, just a, a lot of ways to mix that up and it's really what it does. It's going to eat some of the fantasy value out of these guys from each other, specifically in deep leagues. And it really just makes, uh, Turner, Eaton and Soto and Robles really the most, uh, valuable fantasy assets this year. Definitely makes them very valuable. I agree. The, the Thames, Kendrick kind of platoon, uh, Zimmerman, it's going to get them all more action, but kind of who gets the, the best out of that, who knows? I guess another player that it kind of benefits in the grand scheme of things with those guys kind of doing their platoon now, 
it should assure much more, and it was already kind of insinuated, but now Starling Castro should be legit the second baseman. Like Cabrera should be out of the way. So that makes for a nice late-round second base option with some pop as well if you need to go that route uh, looking at the Nats. All right, let's wrap up the NL East. Let's talk Phillies. And they uh, we have very similar names written down here. So uh, who are the guys in the Phillies that stand out to you? Yeah, I had uh, Alec Baum, uh, the the youngster, and then the uh, on the other side of the uh, fence there, Jay Bruce, the old man, still in the mix. Uh, this isn't necessarily a deep bench, uh, so uh, yeah, there's going to be somebody like that that's going to be be you know be seeing a lot of at bats. Uh, obviously, Bruce not there against lefties, but uh, I think those are probably the two names, and maybe just maybe we'll finally get a little bit of Roman Quinn in our lives for some, uh, for some late round steals. Uh, just somebody that if there was any opportunity for him to finally get some playing time, this, uh, this would be it, especially if uh, some injuries hit and the fact that we've got the expanded rosters. I love this. Uh, Vlad and I did not compare notes and I didn't look at Vlad's list until literally we started recording. And I haven't like, I go team by team here. I have written down Jay Bruce cause I absolutely love him and Alec Baum. And then my third guy was Roman Quinn. So that's a, uh, <laughs> Really, because most people, I don't think, I'll, I'll, I'll give us a little credit here. I don't think many would go with Roman Quinn. But uh, the deeper league guys like us, the DFS guys like us, mm-hmm. you know Roman Quinn. And that's a, a very interesting guy that if he got playing time, could give you some steals, a little bit of pop, could be a nice little addition because there's really no room for him in the outfield. But you could put him in the DH or let him play the outfield and someone else like Jay Bruce or someone play the DH. Tremendous, tremendous upside there. So I love that call quite a bit. Let's head to the NL Central and let's go Cubbies because you kind of have the same thoughts I have here with not too much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I don't like this bench. I mean, obviously, I love the top of the lineup. Uh, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Schwarber, Contreras. I think that's really solid. Ian Happ will probably be the full-time center fielder. They signed old man Jason Kipnis uh, probably near the bottom of the lineup. Uh, he'll be playing against righties uh, at second base. But, I mean, this bench, I mean – Really, it's an opportunity for somebody like Steven Souza Jr., if he's healthy, to to, to really be able to step up. Uh, uh, and again, just keep, keep in mind that yeah, Souza can hit homers; he could probably steal some bases, but he's gonna uh, he's got bad plate discipline, gonna crush you with the average. Uh, David Bodie, to me, just isn't really a talented guy. Uh, you know, uh, drafted in the 18th round way long ago. Um, you know, uh, already kind of the downswing of his career. The one interesting thing I just thought about is you could possibly see. Uh, Victor Caratini more often in the lineup. I feel like he's one of the better backups in the league. I feel like he'd be a starter, uh, you know, on Pittsburgh, Toronto, on a million different teams. He'd be their starting catcher. Uh, he's a switch hitter. He is not a bad bat. And I know you and I have played him before in DFS. When Contreras gets a day off, maybe some days uh, Caratini will uh, sit behind the plate and Contreras will be the DH. Yeah, Caratini is my most excited guy in this group. I, I love him. I, I wrote him up in articles back in like November as a best ball late round catcher because he fills time up at first base. He catches when Contreras is hurt and there's rumors they wanted to trade him at one point and he can hit. Like you said, he's a legit stick in that lineup um, and the DH would do him real good to let him uh, hit or give other guys an extra day off. Like with, with a short ramp up, you would think catchers would be okay, but maybe they give catchers a couple extra days off. Like you got a guy like Caratini. Hey Vic, go, go catch three games this week. Well, it's DH Contreras. I think Caratini can get a, a nice boost here because he does have legit 20-plus home run upside and doesn't kill you in batting average. So uh, I like that call quite a bit. Let's go to the St. Louis Cardinals. They have a slew of uh, – it's not the, the sexiest of offenses, but it gets a little better with the DH. What do you have there? 
Uh, for me, it's, uh, you know, it, there's a difference between praying and hoping and, and reality. And at some point, I, I, I wish that Tyler O'Neill uh, becomes a thing. He's actually was, uh, what was he, among the league leaders in um, sprint speed uh, and, and has some upside with uh, with base stealing. We know he's got some raw power. Um, he just has some, from from what I hear from my St. Louis friends, there's some discipline issues. Uh, I won't get into those, but, uh, you know, if, if it, you know, he's turning 25 in, in a few months, uh, maybe he finds himself and really plays up to his potential. Um, I really think he and Lane Thomas are a lot more talented than, uh, than Harrison Bader, for example. Uh, but La- uh, Lane Thomas could be, uh, could be really good. This might be a really good opportunity for him. Um, and then of course, let's not forget Dylan Carlson. To me, he's, uh, going to be a bona fide starter this year. I think he's, uh, somebody that even now is still being, drafted a little too low uh and obviously he's not going to dh he'll he'll be in the outfield a lot but it might give somebody like old man uh, dexter fowler a rest uh maybe he'll be on the bench more often or uh or dhing uh but uh, yeah i think uh between o'neill or lane thomas there's going to be a fantasy star there and then dylan carlson is already one in the making yeah one thing that i really took away from the cardinals and there was actually a report i saw i think yesterday on roto world it basically locks carlson into the outfield like before all this happened in spring training there is still technically a battle, and it was kind of up in the air. This has locked him into the outfield, and he is going too low for what Carlson can do. So I'm 100% on board with you there. And it does give Tyler O'Neill a chance to get some playing time because Bader is out there pretty much for his defense. He's a very, very good defender. The Cardinals, they thrive. They've done this forever. Let's play defense. Let's pitch. Let's win games on low-scoring affairs. So they'd rather play defense up the middle, which usually is a recipe for success. Um, so it does give O'Neill a chance who has just ridiculous power, um, and a little, even a little bit of speed. He'll surprise you there. But uh, Carlson, to me, is the biggest winner here. But, yes, O'Neal, Thomas, those guys, Carpenter, Fowler getting some rest. I, I'm with you there. Could help a ton. Let's go to the Pittsburgh Pirates, who – it's the Pirates, let's be real. But uh, someone has to benefit. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, this is um, this is somewhat of a tough roster. Uh, I, I – for me, uh, Jose Osuna is, you know, probably the best bet because he's not exactly the best defender. So you'll probably see him in the mix. Uh, Jared Dyson, even though he's older, he's still pretty fast and uh, obviously a one trick pony actually maybe could even help you in batting average. But uh, uh, Jared Dyson, um, he can still steal some bases. So uh, a little more dangerous in fantasy, but you'll probably see him um, getting big slew of at bats. And I don't know, that's pretty much it. Maybe a little JD Riddle in the mix. We'll see. Yeah, there's not much there. Jose Osuna, it, interesting. He, he mashes lefties pretty well. Might get a few more bats versus righties. But, yeah, that's about all I see in that scenario. Uh, let's go to the Brew Crew, who has a lot of platoon uh, situations. This could go door for some uh, very uh, powerful veterans. Who do you like in Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, this sets up for uh, for Ryan Braun to avoid having to uh, to play the outfield, to really play much first base, unless it's in for Justin Smoke. But uh, this is a very, very versatile roster. I like the way that they built it. Uh, basically, like uh, a lot of people have mentioned it, but basically like your Tampa Bay Rays of the of the National League. Uh, and I like these signings of uh, uh, Jed Jorko and, uh, and Brock Holt and Avisil Garcia. I mean, like, this is uh, th- this can work out all right. I-, I do still have a little bit of faith that uh, Jed Jerko can be can be swell, uh, especially against lefties. He's always crushed lefties over the course of his career, so you'll see him in the lineup against them. Uh, obviously, Garcia should be in the in the lineup plenty, um, and even even Manny Pena. Uh, you know, obviously with Yasmani Grandal gone, uh, one of the best defensive catchers, uh, best framer in the league. 
you get him out of the mix. And now you've got uh, Omar Narvaez, who, you know, a lot of people think maybe he's been playing a little bit uh, over his head over the last couple of years. And, and Manny Pena crushes lefties himself. You go back and look at his last couple of seasons. So maybe he'll be uh, a little bit more in the mix this year. Yeah, Ryan Braun, to me, is one of the biggest benefactors in all of the National League with this rule because he still hits over 20 home runs and over 10 steals in like five or six straight seasons, something along those lines. Been as productive as they come, hits for good average, but was in a serious platoon. And it was going to be limited for playing time. He just can't play the field like he used to. So a massive, massive benefit for a guy like Ryan Braun. And then I think guys like you mentioned, Jericho could get some more action there versus lefties. Um, they signed Ronnie Rodriguez. I thought that was a quietly nice deal. Can play a couple different positions in the infield. We saw him show some pop with the Tigers. Now you put him in a better ballpark to hit in. He can be interesting. So they they do have so many moving parts. Comparing them to the Rays is such a great comparison. Because minus they don't have any pitching, but offensively, just like the Rays. So uh, I'm a big fan of that. And Ryan Braun's uh, the biggest takeaway for me with Milwaukee. Uh, let's wrap up the NL Central. Let's go to Cincinnati, another team that uh, had some log jams in certain spots and some guys getting sent to the minors and whatnot. Who are some of the guys that stand out to you for the Reds? Yeah, I mean, this uh, universal DH rule is basically uh, made for the Reds. This is absolutely perfect. Uh, you uh, alluded to the log jam there in the outfield. I mean, it, it's a place where even Aristides Aquino uh, doesn't, was looking at not cracking the roster. He was going to start the year in AAA. Uh, this now gives him an opportunity to play. But even yet, they're, they have a very crowded outfield there. Uh, they signed uh, Akiyama from overseas. Uh, he's probably going to be the the leadoff man against righties. I think he fits in well, well very uh, very well there. Uh, and then my boy Nick Senzel, uh, you know, former uh, uh, first round pick a few years back, and uh, now he's he's uh, spent some time injured over the last couple of years and uh, finally healthy. I think uh, he has an opportunity to uh, really cement himself as an important member of this team. Maybe even get some at bats near the top of the lineup. And he's got some wheels, man. He can uh, he can hit some homers. He can steal some bases. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. I think Aquino, who is going to start the year in AAA, is a guy I like there. The outfield is kind of crowded, but I think it even opens the door for a Jesse Winker type. Yes. That could be quite interesting. So, And Winker is a guy, man, just give him at bats. He's basically – I know people have said it, and it makes a lot of sense because he's such an OBP machine. He's basically their Joey Votto in the outfield. He just can't play every day because they have so many options there. But uh, Winker could be another one that gets some love. So a lot to like there. Got Castellanos. Heck, think of Castellanos there. He's so bad defensively and move guys around the outfield. Mm -hmm. So there's a a lot of ways to work it there with the Reds, like you said. So that's a a really interesting way to look at it. All right. Five more teams to go. Let's go to the National League West, a division we are very familiar with. We'll start with your Los Angeles Dodgers, who, similar to some teams we talked about, have a, a, just a slew of different platoons and it works very well for them. Who do you think benefits for the Dodgers? Yeah. I mean, this is one team where you see distinct different lineups. Uh, they almost have uh, like a one a and one B you've got your, your base guys that'll always be in there. Uh, Mookie Betts, Turner, Bellinger, uh, Seager. Um, and then you've got these rotating pieces and, Whenever there's a lefty on the mound, you're going to see A.G. Pollock, Chris Taylor, and uh, Kike Hernandez probably in there all the time. Um, you know, uh, uh, these guys are uh, past, you know, they're all over the age of 27 now, but they are contributors. Maybe not the best fantasy values per se, but uh, they're going to help the, the these Dodgers win some games. Uh, and it really gives a chance for somebody like Jock Peterson to take a, ben- uh, take a seat on the bench because, you know, he's not going to be, uh, he's not going to be playing against lefties at all. So, 
Uh, that'll be interesting. And then uh, obviously it helps solidify things a little bit more for Gavin Lux because they're going to want to get his bat in the lineup. So occasionally uh, against righties when, uh, you know, maybe they get someone else playing their second base, uh, he can, he can slide in and play DH as well. Yeah. I think Lux is probably the biggest benefactor. Like you said, gives him more of a stable spot in the, the lineup because the, the Dodgers, like you were saying, are very, very much a lefty-righty situation. These guys here, these guys here. So it doesn't really matter for, like, Jock Peterson if it's a crowded outfield. He's not facing lefties. Uh, A.J. Pollock, maybe he gets a few more righties, gives him a little breather if he stays healthy. Who knows? But I think Lux, for sure, gets the biggest benefit on this one. I do Let's have. I'm sorry. Backs because, Yeah. No, no, I was gonna. I was gonna say, um, Edwin Rios, by the way, is sneaky. Uh, Twenty six years old, a pretty good hitter, yes. a lefty bat, plays first, third, and play in the outfield. He could end up uh, if, for whatever reason, we've seen uh, Justin Turner. He's old and uh, always injured. So, for whatever reason, Justin Turner gets hurt or, uh, or, or something happens with him, you might see a, a lot of Rios this year. Um, I'm terrified of that man, and I'm scared that he's actually coming close to here because I saw him play the San Jose Giants had to be three years ago now, maybe four. It's when Puig was rehabbing with the team. Uh-huh. And um, Rios was just hitting bombs. It was terrifying. And I'm like, another <laughs> young stud. This is just great. Just absolutely great to see. So uh, the fact he's that close is, oh, that name already rings a bell. I'm going to look it up. So um, let's talk Diamondbacks here. Like I mentioned, they have definitely the ones that stand out, like the Jake Lambs of the world. But there's a few others that could definitely sneak into some playing time here. Uh, who stood stood out for you for the D-backs? Yeah, so obviously I got to put I always put it all out there, uh, and uh, obviously no, no no different for your for uh, for all the people that listen to you. But I hope a lot of my competitors don't listen to the show because I want to in on the Tim Locastro market, uh, <laughs> yeah, and not just because he's the number one sprint speed guy from last <laughs> year, you know, and all that. But I could legitimately see him um, getting some time at the top of the lineup and, and being a part of this lineup. Uh, he he is he, he with full time at bats or close to it. He could definitely be among the league leaders in stolen bases, and he's going to be pretty cheap. So for me, that's kind of the guy uh, I think. And he, and he fits well with this team too, with the Martes and Peralta and Escobar and all these guys. Um, you know, I just see it working out for him. The Castro is a very strong take. Big OBP guy, tons of speed. Could be another big steals late guy. So I like that call quite a bit. Uh, Jake Lamb's the easy one, like I said. I think Kevin Cron, he's kind of like the Garrett Cooper of the D-backs for me when I look at it. Uh, if people look at it, was a very small sample, but he, he did a lot of it at AAA too where he hit the ball so hard, home runs galore. If you just look at his numbers when he was with the D-backs last year, his hard hits, um, all that good stuff. Basically, when he put the ball in play, it was terrifying. Problem is he strikes out well over 30% of the time. So it's kind of a happy medium with Kevin Cron, but he could be a guy that maybe could use some consistent MLB at bats and take him to the next level. And they were wanting to get him in there, but you already had quick Christian Walker in the way. Now you can use them both. And that can be terrifying. Uh, if you're facing the D backs, say lefties on the mound, that could be quite interesting. Let's go to Colorado who, uh, you know, everyone's all excited when they wouldn't be in Coors field this year. Well, looks like they're going to be in Coors field this year. So uh, how are we looking at the DH with the Rockies? Just, just, just what the Rockies need another bat in their lineup. Yes, I love it. Uh, I love it because I'm heavily invested in uh, many of my drafts. I've got so much uh, Sam Hilliard and Garrett Hampson that I didn't know what to do with it. And now I think I do know what to do with it. I'm going to play them. So uh, I think you already had a very crowded outfield here. Uh, you had Ian Desmond, who is way past his prime, who uh, still getting at bats against lefties. 
Um, he's still in the mix, but you know, even with uh, uh, Toppy is still there. Um, you know, that they're there. I was really worried about where Hampson and Hilliard were going to get their bats from. And now that just that picture just becomes a little bit more clearer. Uh, of course, if these guys are struggling, that's a different story. Uh, they've got a lot of guys that they could put in there in the lineup. But yeah, I mean, you're going to see uh, an opportunity for both of those guys to play a lot more. Sam Hilliard's one of the, my favorite late round targets. I, I thought he'd still get decent at bats. Like you said, this opens it up quite a bit. So I love me some Sam Hilliard. I, I already tempered expectations before. He's not going to do what he did last year. Let's be realistic, but still has really good power, good average, tons of speed, lots to like with him. And then if you want to go kind of a long shot, because we've been waiting for it for a while, and if he's healthy right now, hopefully he can stay healthy. But a guy like Brendan Rogers is another guy that could play for the Rockies and get some playing time. So keep him in mind. He was a big-time prospect for, for them. If they can find a way to squeeze him in the lineup, another guy, power, speed, to help the Rockies. Two more to go here. Let's go to the San Diego Padres, who have options galore. Who are you looking at in San Diego? Uh, you know, Will Myers, he's never had an ADP this low. I think it's something around uh, 240, 260, uh, something like that. And, uh, I mean, look at guys combined home runs and, and, and stolen bases the last few years. Yes, he's a, a liability with the batting average. Um, but, yeah, he's not yet 30 years old, and he's somebody that you're probably going to uh, to see just in there at DH. You can play first, you can play outfield. So, um, you know, somebody that you – that I, I see working out maybe a little bit of uh, uh swan song for Brian Dozier as well. So uh, outside of that, um, you know, the, these other guys are pretty much like slap hitters, Greg Garcia, Juan Lagares, uh, nothing really interesting there. Uh, and I think it goes without saying our boy, Franchi Cordero, hopefully is going to get uh, uh, all the at-bats he can handle and hopefully not uh, strike out at a 40% clip. Oh man. If Franchi got all the at-bats, that would be outstanding. Cause can someone hit a long ways? Franchi can. So that would be fun. Uh, Will Myers, it's a very good take on that one. It's it's crazy how low he's going. And then a guy that's supposed to play in the minors because they didn't have a room for him, but maybe opens up a spot if things come. Ty France has ridiculous power. So keep an eye on a guy like Ty France. He could be a fun one with the expanded rosters and the DH. Last but not least, let's go to the Giants, the worst team in the National League West. And like, sadly, they're going to get another hitter in the lineup, but sadly they don't really have a lot of good options unless you're rolling on some rebound candidates here so who do you like with the Giants you know they have a pretty solid bench a better bench than the Phillies and a a lot of other teams there I mean Wilmer Flores and Hunter Pence as it stands um, aren't listed on roster resource in their primary lineup and uh, I think those are both very very decent bats I think they're going to help the team a lot I understand Pence is uh, 37 at this point but man he looked fantastic through the all-star break last year Uh, so so yeah I think those are the two guys uh, I did uh, actually bring up Mauricio Dubon in uh, in my latest article as somebody that could be a late round target. He just intrigues me. I mean, it, it took him what six years to to finally make his appearance in the majors. Was with a lot of uh, different teams. He uh, he's one of those sneaky guys that could, if he can find a way to just start uh, walking and getting on base, um, he could find himself uh, as the leadoff man. They don't. This team doesn't really have a true leadoff man. Uh, I know Yaz did it for a little bit. Uh, but right now, if, if Brandon Crawford's your leadoff man, that's that you know that's not it. So uh, a lot of different ways to go. <laughs> and then Alex Dirkerson, obviously, I think he can be a little bit of a, a, a quote unquote sleeper uh, against righties. The guy definitely has some pop when he goes to Colorado. And when we play DFS, you you know we're going to play some Alex Dirkerson. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. Like the, the lineup, it's not flashy. It can be a pesky lineup at times that can bug people. And at the same time, it can be a dreadful lineup. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I do like the Flores take. He played more often than just a platoon against lefties. Pence will be good. I think guys like um, Jalen Davis, who got a little cup of coffee towards the end of last year, he might get a little more run with the team and could be interesting. Maybe a Chris Shaw. These are more guys that flourished like with power and speed in the minors, but really didn't do it in a, sh- a short chance last year. We'll see. But I like the Flores and Pence takes. Gets them more regular playing time. Definitely something to build off on that one. All right, Vlad, that'll wrap us up on this episode. Uh, before we sign off, once again, remind everybody where they can find you and maybe what they could be looking out for. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, on Twitter, at RotoGut, uh, with our season-long uh, content, that's where you'll find me all year. That's uh, fantasyguru.com. And if you're interested in a little bit of DFS baseball, I think we're, you know, we're all just chomping at the bit to get uh, get some action uh, it, it's elitefantasy.com. And of course, um, uh, some very top notch, uh, guys we have on the gambling side as, as, uh, it starts to become legalized across the States. So, uh, man, thank you so much, buddy. It's uh, always great to talk to you. I think honestly, you're one of, uh, literally on a short list of one of the best baseball, uh, fantasy baseball podcasters out there. So it's always a pleasure to, to come on your show. I truly appreciate it. That is quite humbling to hear that coming from you. So, Thank you very much for those kind words, and thanks for uh, joining me tonight. Uh, We will definitely do it sooner than two years uh, next time (laughs) around. So everybody, go check out Vlad on Twitter, like you said, at RotoGut. You will not regret it. And until next time, Bench with Bubba, episode 286. Catch you guys later.